Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, the purveyor of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. Oh, thank you so very much for listening once again. I hope everybody had a nice weekend. I am... Back in Chicago, behind enemy lines, I spent the, let's see, the last four days, was it? No, what did I go down? Friday. So the last three days, I guess, in Milwaukee with friends and family celebrating, well, celebrating a couple things. I had the wedding of my baby sister and the birthday of my oldest sister, so... There's a lot of lot of celebrating going on in the Profita household this weekend. It was quite the bender, quite the three-day bender. I am somewhat recovered, so I uh, wanted to get back behind the microphone and get an episode out to you folks covering the debate, the Democratic debate from Thursday of last week. I know it's... It is now Monday, so I'm a little late getting it out, but, you know, I was drunk for four days, so <laughs> give me a, cut me a little slack here, and hopefully once you come across this episode, it is still relevant to you. I don't see how it couldn't be. All my episodes will remain relevant till the end of time. But, um, you know, it is... It really is unbelievable to me. Every time I watch these debates, I I cannot get over the fact that this is the process of how we elect our leader, the leader of the free world. If there is one thing that makes libertarians unique, or maybe ANCAPs in particular, anarcho-capitalists, for those of you not familiar with the term, the one thing that makes ANCAPs stand out from the rest of of the, you know, average people is that they're able to see the state for what it really is. You know, that's one of uh, Murray Rothbard's best um, short, I don't know what you would call it, short works. It was like, uh, uh, you can read it in about 30 minutes. It's uh, the anatomy of the state. And basically what he does in that short work is... He opens your eyes to what government really is at its core. Not what they, you know, not these fantasies that were taught in school, 
you know, how government is of, for, by the people, and we are the government, and the government is just this benevolent entity that's there to secure your rights, and all of that nonsense that you're taught in school. He completely shatters that and gets at the core of what the state really is, what government actually is, and what the state is not. And so uh, libertarians no, no longer buy into this narrative of this legitimate government, okay? They understand that the government is predicated on the use of force, on limiting your freedom, that everything the government does by its very nature is, is coercive. We don't carve out all these exceptions when it comes to the government like the rest of the world does. We don't obfuscate government with all these, like true, the true nature of government with all these euphemisms. We call it like it is. You know, we, we cut the bullshit. But taxation is theft. War is mass murder. You're under arrest? No, that's kidnapping. Okay? We don't use these, these government euphemisms to, to hide the, the true nature of what government is really doing to you. And when we went through the last presidential election and Donald Trump won, one of the lessons that I hoped the American people would come away with that was staring them right in the face is that this whole thing this whole thing is a charade. It's a joke. And I mean, if, if Donald Trump winning the presidency didn't illustrate that perfectly, I don't know what else could. One of the only things Donald Trump was capable of doing, one of the only things that um, I appreciate about him is, is his ability to reveal how flawed this system of government actually is, how pathetic and ritualistic the election process is, how rigged the process is in favor of the establishment, how biased the corporate press is, how corrupt the political parties are. He is able to reveal all of that. Everybody, everybody involved that had been putting on this show just willingly, willingly drops the facade to try to take down Donald Trump. It was a really unbelievable thing to watch, but nobody seems to be paying attention to this. So I had high hopes that this sort of Trump phenomenon would have that the, the same effect as Murray Rothbard's Anatomy of the State has had on many a young libertarian, and that this whole Trump moment would sort of pull back the curtain on, on the true nature of government and the true nature of this system. But, uh, of course, those lessons seem to have been lost on just about everybody, and Democratic voters in particular seem to have no awareness of what government really is. It, it really is unbelievable to me. All of their angst, all of their anger is directed at these giant corporations, but... What, what do giant corporations do, really? A absent government, all they can do is try and provide you with goods and services that people want. That, that's it. They provide you with things that vastly improve your standard of living. All government does 
is interjecting itself into every aspect of life, every part of the productive processes that advance society, and they start screwing everything up. Literally everything they touch, they completely destroy. And while they're doing that, while they're doing their best to ruin everything in your life, they are stealing 40% of your earnings, they're throwing up roadblocks to success every step of the way, and while they're doing that, they're screaming into every available microphone that the rich people and these corporations, they're the ones to blame for all your problems. It, it really is unbelievable to me, the, the gall that they have. But I guess since the vast majority of the American people are not as enlightened as you and I, and they're not listening to this podcast, they haven't been unplugged from the Matrix. They are still ensconced in the, in the religion of the state and, and powerless to their endless propaganda and indoctrination. These politicians are the scum of the earth. They are your rulers. They rule over you. You are subjects. They are the people who steal from you on a daily basis. They are the people that have set up the apparatus where you can be kidnapped and thrown in a cage for victimless crimes. Anytime you get a chicken shit ticket for jaywalking or not coming to a complete stop before turning right on a red, you can thank a politician. Anytime you're molested by TSA before boarding a plane, you can thank a politician. Anytime you have to bribe your local government official or go down to City Hall and pull a permit to build on your own land, you can thank a politician. They are literally responsible for everything that you hate in society, everything that you hate in your life, every obnoxious thing, every obstacle you face is a direct result of government and these politicians. And they're met with cheers with thunderous applause when they get up on stage and lie to your face for three and a half straight hours. No matter how many times I, I see it, I, I, can't get, I can't get used to it. I, I can't get over how pathetic we are as a country. We have this um, comprehensive, widespread case of Stockholm Syndrome. The vast majority of a once proud people a free people are now kowtowing to their masters, lining up in droves to kiss the rings of the political class. I, I can't believe it. And I can't believe that these politicians can go out on stage after spending their entire lives messing up everything that they've touched. They can go out on stage, demonize people and companies that have materially improved your lives, claim that they are the ones that can fix the very problems that they're responsible for creating and receive cheers from the very people they're in the process of fucking over. Don't you guys understand this yet? They are stealing from you. They are controlling you. We are all slaves to an all-powerful government and you guys are sitting there cheering like a bunch of lemmings. I, I just feel like after that whole Trump moment and now this whole election cycle and how ridiculous this has been, how ludicrous these candidates are, how ludicrous this process is, there's no excuse for this. 
You have to think, okay? You have to learn the lessons of history and open your eyes and realize that you're being played for a fool. And that while you may think those idiots up on stage are clowns, they are the ones clowning you and laughing all the way to the bank as they do it. They have convinced you that you are incapable of managing your own life, that you are helpless peasants that need to look to the government to steal the scraps of life from rich people and, 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 they, and then have the government dole them out to you, that you couldn't possibly become successful in America without the government, that you couldn't educate yourself or your kids without government, You couldn't feed yourself without government. You couldn't house yourself without government. Nothing. We would all just be hopeless, homeless, pathetic losers without our wise overlords in Washington ensuring that we have everything that we need to survive. Without them correcting all the problems in society, we would all be doomed, right? I mean, of course. Of course they would try to convince you of this. It's how they validate their existence. They are selling you. That's what this whole process is about. This whole election cycle. It's not about electing uh, the proper leader, okay? They're, They're selling you on an idea. This idea that we need a government to organize society, that this is a legitimate form of organizing a society, that they are the key to a functioning civil society. And implicit in that, is the idea that you need them and it's not the other way around when in fact they need us a lot more than we need them. They're an albatross around our neck. They are leeches. They leech off the productive sector of society. Government produces nothing. Everything it has, it has to first take from somebody else. They are incapable of productive behavior. Okay? They're nothing if they can't be politicians. They have to sell you on the existence of government, that government is necessary, that without government we would devolve into this dystopian anarchy where roving bands of armed thugs would pillage and plunder the helpless. Shocking. Shocking that government would sell you on that idea. But what else can they do? What else would all of these pussy politicians, these career politicians do if they couldn't rule over you? You think Bernie Sanders has ever had a real job? You think he, he, he's never had a job? He's never produced anything of value? He's constantly demonizing companies like Walmart or Amazon and oil companies that have literally provided everything you see in front of you right now. Everything. Bernie's never made your life better by one iota. He's a lying, lazy, despicable human being. It was so lazy and unproductive, he got kicked out of a commune for not working enough. He got kicked out of a commie commune for being too lazy. I mean, that is a a level of laziness most of us would never understand. What's he going to do without government? What's Joe Biden going to do if he can't be in government pretending to do things? They have to convince you that you need them that they aren't the ones causing all of these problems and that they somehow have the solution to everything that is wrong. They have to. And that's what this entire debate was about. Each candidate bending over backwards to one-up the other with regulations, laws, bans, and infringements on your personal freedoms. 
I don't understand why more people can't see how absurd this is. If anyone else had the track record of the federal government on any issue, any issue, just pick one at random, you wouldn't listen to them for five minutes or look to them to solve that or any additional problems in the future. You'd be an idiot if you did that. You would be an idiot. Yet when it comes to the government, we make all these exceptions. We somehow overlook the last hundred years of their track record. We make excuses to explain away all their constant failures, which is why they love this two-party system, because each side can constantly blame the other for all the problems and then sell you on the idea that you just need to vote them out and vote the good guys in and everything in your life will magically get better. I guess we're just supposed to forget the fact that there's nothing new these politicians are proposing. Forget the fact that we already have hundreds of thousands of pages of rules and regulations and laws. That we have hundreds of agencies, committees, special counsels, millions of bureaucrats, thousands of laws. But somehow, somehow, we are always just one or two more laws or a couple of more Government agencies away from perfect utopia. Forget about the fact that the government has been in charge of education, health insurance, that they have meddled in the financial industry, that they're in charge of the money supply, that they've meddled in healthcare, banking, and the environment, that government is the largest polluter in the world. Literally every major problem they talk about constantly. You name it, healthcare, education, social security, Medicare, Medicaid, climate change, every industry they complain about, the government has either completely taken over or through excessive regulation and taxation, for all intents and purposes, they control it. And yet, somehow, it's never the government's fault. It's never their fault. We just need more government, you see? We just need that 115th financial regulation to protect us from the next financial collapse. That's all. We just need a little more government. We just need to give them a little more power, a little more regulation, a few more laws, and a few less freedoms for you and me, and everything will be fine. That's how we solve all of society's problems. And don't worry, don't worry, it's not going to cost you anything. You won't have to pay any more or make any sacrifices. No, 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 no. We'll just take a little bit from the rich guys, those the you know the tippy top, the one percent who have been taking advantage of you. See, the rich have been taking advantage of you. They've been stealing your wealth. They've been stealing. We haven't been stealing from you. It's those rich guys over there. They've been taking advantage of you with all their evil profits. And we will provide you with all these wonderful things that will be so much better than anything the private sector can produce. Because, you know, they're all about evil profits over people. And you see, we, the government, care about the people. See, we care about you. You know, there, there was that one moment in the debate between Trump and Hillary back in the, the previous election cycle where Hillary was droning on and on about all the things she was going to do and all the problems she was going to solve. And at one point, Trump just turns to her and says you know, something along the lines of, you know, you've been in government for 30 years. Why didn't you do any of this while you were there? <laughs> you know, don't you think that if government was the solution to these problems, that we would have solved them by now? That if government could simply 
declare war on something, like declare war on poverty and confiscate and distribute wealth to eliminate poverty, that spending more money than any government in the history of the planet, trillions of dollars, would have solved the problem by now? And if not solved it, at least materially improved the situation? But if you look at it, if you look at the numbers, the poverty rate's exactly where it was when they declared the war on poverty. They've been in charge of education since the 70s. And spending has done nothing but increase per pupil while test scores plummet, while education standards plummet, while we're getting dumber and dumber with each generation. These candidates will readily admit that everything is a disaster. Healthcare is a disaster. Education system is broken. The banking industry is broken. The economy is broken. It's not working for you. It's only working for the rich. They literally start every single answer to the debate questions. It doesn't matter what you ask them about. The, the beginning of the answer is always the same. They start out by going over how broken whatever topic they are discussing already is. And government's been in charge of these things my entire life, longer than my entire life. They've been purporting to fix these problems for the last hundred years or so. So how are they doing so far, huh? How are they doing so far? Even by their own admission, they're failing miserably. And yet, year after year, you sit there listening to them, believing in them, believing that somehow this time it's going to be different. Why? Why do you continue to listen to them? Why do you continue to look to them? Are you really this stupid? I know you've, had, you've probably had several setbacks since you were most likely educated in government schools, a government school system that is broken by their own admission. But seriously, how many more chances do they get? How much more slack are you going to cut them? How many more times are you going to fall for their bullshit? How many more times are you going to believe that government can provide you with something for nothing? That they can somehow tax a few rich people and then implement some awesome, efficient government program to materially improve your situation? Can you think of any instance where that has ever happened? Can you think of one thing that the government does well, aside from kidnapping people and throwing them in cages? maybe bombing third world countries? Can you think of one situation where you have to deal with a government agency where you look forward to that interaction? That it's not a, a colossal pain in the ass? The DMV, the TSA, the IRS, the police, the public school system, the judicial system, Obamacare? I doubt it. I doubt you can. Can you think of any government estimation or projection that was within, I don't know, a, a trillion dollars of what they've claimed? They love to throw out all of these numbers when they're pumping you full of all their lies about what they're going to do. And my God, when they were going through health care and through immigration, they just throw out the, uh, I'm going to create 20 million jobs and this will save $50 billion and it only costs $2 trillion over 10 years. They just throw these numbers out. I'll create this. I'll create that. My plan will only cost this. My plan will only cost that. And all we have to do is a little tiny tax on the 1%, right? Has any of that ever panned out? Of course not. Of course not. They never produce what they've claimed. 
They never stick to their budgets. The problems get bigger. The problems get worse. The problems multiply. They spend more money. The deficits get bigger. And then they have to raise taxes on everyone, don't they? To pay for all their mistakes. Every single time. Go back and listen to the episode I did on the history of taxation. It's not as boring as it sounds, I promise. The income tax was only supposed to be on the 1%. The income tax that we all pay every year, that we fret over every April 15th, it was only supposed to be on the 1% and only 1% of their incomes. Certainly no more than like 6 or 7%. They almost capped it at 10. Could you believe that? And that's what the Rockefellers would have to pay. Now the poorest among us, The poorest among us pay more than was ever envisioned for the Carnegies or the Rockefellers to ever have to pay an income tax. So why do you continue to look to them to solve problems that they have either created or exacerbated or both? Why do you continue to listen to them? Why do you continue to believe them, to believe their lies? Are you really this dense? Are you really this pathetic that you can't figure it out? that you can't figure out how poor a track record the government has? I mean, if so, I guess that's fine. That's fine. If you you still don't have this figured out, that's fine. But you shouldn't be voting. You're obviously unfit to vote. And if not, if you have this figured out and you realize this is a ridiculous system and you vote for these candidates anyways because you perceive them to be the lesser of two evils... Well, then I suppose you get the government you deserve. Because the problems we have now, the government we have now is the direct result of people voting for the lesser of two evils. Because we won't change the system. And I mean really change the system. Not just vote for a candidate that claims he or she will change it. They all say that. But because we start with the premise that government is necessary, that the system we have, this two-party system of government control over every single industry, because we start and operate within the framework of this retarded system, because nobody seems to realize that government isn't the solution to your problems, that government is in fact the problem, we will never solve anything. We will just continue this charade Every four years, we will stay within the confines of what the government deems allowable discourse, and we will fight with each other over the false choices that they present to us. It's a very frustrating thing to watch. Almost as frustrating as watching the debates themselves. And I guess as far as this round of debates went, uh, you know, it was more boring than usual. Maybe not as boring as the first round of debates. They've narrowed it down to the most boring 10 candidates, but the debate was still about three hours long. So I guess people got more speaking time, which, as it turns out, is not a very good thing for any of these people. If you were bemoaning the fact that these debates are set up in a way where candidates don't get enough time to discuss issues in depth and... You know, while that's true, that's true, the the more these candidates talk, the dumber they sound. All you're doing by giving this group of knuckleheads more time to speak is supplying them with more and more rope with which to hang themselves. 
I mean, really, they, they clearly know nothing of substance about anything. Listening to them try and talk about trade policy was like watching Billy Madison trying to answer that question on uh, reflections of society and literature, you know? And my God, if there was any integrity in these so-called debate moderators, right? If they weren't just carrying water for these idiot politicians, they would have responded to just about everybody's answer the exact same way that that guy did in in Billy Madison, you know. Mr. Biden, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point during your rambling, incoherent response did you even come close to something that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. I mean, all they can do is spout out some platitudes. Like, you know, we need a trade policy that lets us export goods overseas. We need to use trade to not to undermine U.S. companies, or we need a policy that represents farmers and workers, not big corporations. My policy will export products, not export jobs, and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it is, it is clear that these guys know nothing about trade and economics. All they basically know is that Trump is bad, and so I will do the opposite of what Trump is doing. It, it reminded me a lot of one of those interviews that Herman Cain did. And it was, it was so long ago, I forgot exactly what they were talking about. But somebody asked him a question, and he had no idea what they were talking about. But his aunt, after he, he stumbled a little bit, he, he basically said, well, uh, you know, I, I will do the exact opposite of what Obama's doing. <laughs> Which is basically the extent of anything that you get out of this group of candidates. Not of any candidates, really. The Republican debates were no different. But the voters don't know anything either, and that's the problem. That, that's one of the inherent flaws in democracy that I detailed in my episode on the perils of democracy, is that you're asking average people with little to no knowledge on a subject, to try and judge these complex policy prescriptions based on, you know, 30 to 60 second explanations from a candidate in a debate. This is our system? Really? This is the best we can come up with. Someone asks a stupid leading question. Klobuchar gives a rambling, incoherent response. Bernie just starts waving his finger and yelling about some stupid commie bullshit. Elizabeth Warren lectures us like we're in third grade about how she knows how to fix everything, even though she's too stupid to realize her prescription to all these issues are what caused the problems in the first place. Biden's stuttering around trying to remember people's names and keep his teeth from falling out of his head. Beto's speaking Spanish and pretending to be a tough guy. I mean, it, it is a shit show, ladies and gentlemen. Kamala Harris, instead of answering the, the question, all she does is shamelessly give one of her most cringeworthy, rehearsed jabs at, pre at President Trump. Ugh, it was like watching a comedian bomb on stage. She was terrible. 
She spent her she even spent her opening statement talking directly to Donald Trump. Supposedly, I I think he she, you know, she thought he was watching. I think he was doing a rally or something somewhere. And from there, you know, she took every opportunity to just completely ignore whatever question she was asked and and try to hit Trump with these zingers that were just unbelievably bad. Just unbelievably bad. I think I actually have one lined up here. We'll, we'll give it a listen. Senator Harris, how would your how would your trade policy differ from President Obama's? Well, first of all, I I I have no criticism of that more than just looking at where we are now, which is that we've got a guy in the White House who has been erratic on trade policy. He conducts trade policy by tweet, frankly, born out of his fragile ego. It has resulted in farmers in Iowa with soybeans rotting in bins looking at bankruptcy. When we look at this issue, my trade policy under a Harris administration is always going to be about saying we need to export American products, not American jobs. And to do that, we have to have a meaningful trade policy. I am not a protectionist Democrat. Look, we need to sell our stuff. And that means we need to sell it to people overseas. That means we need trade policies that allow that to happen. Hang on. Let's pause it right there. And let me write that down. We need to sell our stuff and we need trade policies that will allow that to happen. Thank you. Thank you, Kamala Harris. Everybody got that? Everybody have that? Okay. Carry on. You asked earlier about China. It's a complicated relationship. We have to hold China accountable. They steal our products, including our intellectual property. They dump substandard products into our economy. They need to be held accountable. We also need to partner with China on climate and the crisis that that presents. We need to partner with China on the issue of North Korea. Okay, so all we need to do is stick it to China and partner with China. Okay, not sure how that's going to work out, but so sell our stuff to people overseas, stick it to China, partner with China. Believe it or not, that was one of the more coherent responses to any trade question that I can remember hearing. And it's probably the longest answer to a question that Kamala Harris has actually given without sticking it to old Donald Trump. But hang on, it's coming. The bottom line is this, Donald Trump in office on trade policy, you know, he reminds me of that, that guy in The Wizard of Oz, you know, when you pull back the curtain, it's a really small dude. Okay. <laughs> I'm not even going to take the bait, Senator Harris, but I am going to take well, this to Senator Sanders. I'm going to take this to Senator Sanders. Oh, good one. Oh, and I love the awkward laugh afterwards. You could tell that the moderators weren't laughing at what she said, they were just laughing at how awkward that moment was when the joke doesn't land. That, that to me wasn't even her worst moment. I couldn't find the clip of when she was talking to Joe Biden. I think her most cringeworthy moment may have been the exchange she had with Joe Biden when whatever Kamala Harris was talking about was undoubtedly unconstitutional and Joe Biden tries to call her out on it. All of a sudden, he's very concerned with the constitutionality of, of their policies, right? Kamala Harris couldn't care any less about the Constitution. Uh, she lives to trample on the the remnants of the Constitution. And she looks at him, and she can't keep from laughing herself because it's just so 
transparently um, phony, just so phony and rehearsed. And she's like, you know, Joe, instead of saying, no, we can't, let's say, yes, we can. Oh, my God. It was just, it was awful. It was awful. And, oh, I can't, I just, I can't believe she thinks that's a win for her. To take the slogan, yes, we can, you know, the si se puede, the inspiring thing about like the, you know, the, the people can inspire change. And she totally corrupts it, turns it around saying that the government can. Yes, we can. The government, we can violate the Constitution. There are no limits on our power. We could do whatever the hell we want. The people be damned. The Constitution be damned. That's her stance. That's her policy. And of course, Biden is too, I don't know if he's too old, too senile, too dumb, or too spineless to call her out on this. But this is unbelievable. Oh, Joe, instead of saying that there are limits to government power, let's just say, yes, we can. Let's just say we can do that. We're the government. We could do whatever we want. We can do whatever we want because we're the almighty government and they are our subjects. They are the peasants. They will bend a knee to us, the almighty government. It was an unbelievable moment that I don't think got the attention it deserved. I suppose that I couldn't find a clip of it, but I could find a million clips of her telling President Trump to go back to watching Fox News. Pretty much proves my point. But I don't see this strategy playing well for her. Uh, this, this whole, I'm just going to ig ignore questions and attack Donald Trump every chance I get. First of all, she's not very good at it, okay? She's trying way too hard. She's forcing she's forcing it in when it doesn't really fit. And she's not as clever as she thinks she is. And you have to remember that as much as Democrats don't want to admit it, there were people who voted for Obama. There were lots of people who voted for Obama that turned around and voted for Trump. He was able to turn votes. So this whole thing where she starts out, well, I don't have a critique of Obama, but Trump's got a fragile ego and a small dick or whatever. Like, it's not going to convince people who were so turned off by Obama's policies that they, they voted for Trump, that they turned around and voted for literally Hitler. Like, that's how bad they thought Obama was. Well, I don't, I don't see this as a winning strategy. Anybody that would enjoy the jabs that she's taking at Trump, as cringeworthy as they are, are already going to be voting Democrat. The Democrats need to find a way to get those Obama votes back. And not criticizing Obama, I don't know if that's a good way of doing it. Anyway, who else am I forgetting? Uh, you have Yang. Yang is there literally openly bribing people, just straight up trying to buy votes. How is that even legal? He actually has opened, like one of the first things he said, it might have even been his opening statement, was he just said, I'm going to give 10 families $12,000 from my campaign. Just go sign up for it. <laughs> How is that legal? I mean, uh, all these politicians are bribing voters. You know, some are, are, are bribing you by, trying to, by saying they'll pay off, they'll forgive your student loans. Other ones are going to give you housing and they're going to give you medic Medicare for all. The, they bribe you with policies. He's just openly bribing you with cash. Cash money. Booker 
you know, Cory Booker, I can't stand that guy. He, he just reverts everything back to this neighborhood that he's supposedly living in. Like he's slumming it in the projects when he actually lives in like the whitest suburb ever. He, he just represents a poor district like all these politicians. And he keeps, I think he keeps a property there literally for the sole purpose of being able to pretend to live there to score political points. He, I, he's such a phony, despicable human being. I can't stand that guy. And he always looks like he's holding back a smile. It bothers me. It really bothers me for some reason. But he probably had one of the better nights, if I'm being honest. And um, let's see, who else? Juan Castro, Julian Castro. Julian, I don't know why I keep calling this guy Juan. I don't even think this guy's worth talking about at this point. He tried to go after Biden for having Alzheimer's, and it was just, again, phony and forced and just, I don't know, this feigned disbelief, like uh, Biden flip-flopped on some stupid issue, and I don't even think he actually did. I think it came out later that... uh, uh, Castro just sort of made up the whole thing and he's just like, I can't believe are you, you don't remember what you just said? Are you really forgetting what you just said two minutes ago, Joe? I don't know, it just, it, I didn't think it landed, I mean we get it Biden's old and he's losing it, I just didn't think he he made uh, he made very good use of the opportunity I don't know Mayor Pete Mayor Pete certainly appears to be uh, the most reasonable in my estimation. Um, But the whole thing was just an abortion. The whole night was an abortion. And not the good, wholesome abortions that all these Democrats fawn over, you know. This was one of those gruesome, right-wing, Christian conservative abortions that we're all supposed to hate. It was just disgusting, horrific to watch. (laughs) But... I guess this is how we're going to do it again. This is how we're going to choose the people who rule over us. They continue to cover the same topics over and over again. You know, they start with health care, then racism and mass shootings and immigration trade. But they spent about five minutes on the longest wars in American history. For some reason, Latin America got their own segment this time around. By the way, it's very revealing how they structure who asks what question. They're so transparent with their own racism. It's so obvious that that their talk of racism is just projection. That's all it is, is projection. That they are the ones who view everything through the lens of color, through this prism of racism. It's first and foremost, always in the front of their mind. It's all they see. The white guy gets to ask the question about health care, okay? The black girl has to ask about race relations. The Mexican guy asks about immigration and Latin America. It's just like, wow, wow, you really only see people for the color of their skin or their nationality. Like, first and foremost, that's all you see. But that's their worldview, That's their whole worldview. You know, if you're not black, you can't talk about race relations. If you're not Hispanic, you can't talk about immigration policy. You're not allowed to have an opinion on that, or your opinion is less valid because of the color of your skin. I mean, it's literally racism, and they just project that onto everybody else around them. 
Like they're not the racist ones. It's incredible. It's amazing to, to me that they're so blatant with their racism and that they can't even see it. I think Castro at one point when they were talking about uh, the El Paso shooting, right? And they made a special point about asking the Hispanic guy about the El Paso shooting because the, the, the shooter allegedly targeted Hispanic people, right? He said something along the lines of, you know, there was a shooter who went to Walmart and targeted a bunch of people who looked just like me. <laughs> okay. Um, does that mean it's worse simply because they look like you? Like, like, or you care more because the people looked like you and not, and you don't care simply because they're people. I mean, wow. I mean that by that logic, am I not supposed to, am I not supposed to care as much because I'm a white guy and they didn't look like me. So, I mean, who cares, right? They weren't white guys. They're just a bunch of Mexicans that got shot. It really is something to watch them just so open and honest and so revealing without knowing it. Anyway, it, it took them two hours to get to climate change. You know, this massive existential threat that's going to make the planet uninhabitable for our children that three-year-olds today are doomed in a mere 17 years. It's just so obvious that none of them believe this. And yet, here we are. Here are all the lemmings that are buying into this rhetoric. They're literally running on the world is ending. The world is going to end in 12 years if we don't do something right now, right? And this is what, topic number six or seven on the docket in every debate? Obviously, they don't believe it. Obviously, they don't believe it. If they did, it would be the only thing that they talked about. It, it should be the First thing on your mind, the last, like, why are we talking about, why are we talking about racism when the world is going to end? Why are we talking about trade policy when we have 12 years to get off of fossil fuels? Why are the Obamas buying a $15 million mansion in Martha's Vineyard right on the water? Aren't they worried about the sea levels rising? I thought that was going to be a thing. But they've got, they've got the voters convinced. They've got all of you lemmings out there convinced that the world's going to end if we don't look to our government for a solution. And somehow, if they just take more of your money, if they just tax you a little more and government harder, that will save the planet. Okay, yeah, good luck with that. Well, let's see, we got a few minutes left. I want to take a page from the Kamala Harris playbook, and I want to speak directly to Robert Francis O'Rourke because I know he's listening, right? Because this beta male, because the one of the main takeaways from this debate, one of the highlights most talked about of this debate was Robert Francis O'Rourke, the Irishman pretending to be a Mexican, pretending to be some tough guy, talking about how he's going to forcibly confiscate your guns. He's going to make you buy them back. And there was this slob fest over what a hero he is and how brave, so stunning and brave he was 
to get up in a, after El Paso and talk to people, to take to the podium. Like, this makes him a hero. Oh, it was disgusting. It was absolutely disgusting to watch these politicians and these moderate, these so-called moderators fawn over Robert Francis, this phony little pussy politician about how brave he is, how how he's a hero because he got up after El Paso and and and, and took this brave stance, right, and, and talked into a microphone. What a hero. Oh, Beto O'Rourke, Robert Francis, we're not worthy. I'll let you listen to it for yourselves. I do want to come to Congressman O'Rourke because I know this is personal to you. El Paso is your hometown. Some on this stage have suggested a voluntary buyback for guns in this country. You've gone further. You said, quote, Americans who own AR-15s and AK-47s will have to sell them to the government, all of them. You know the critics call this confiscation. Are you proposing taking away their guns, and how would this work? I am. If it's a weapon that was designed to kill people on a battlefield, if the high-impact, high-velocity round, when it hits your body, shreds everything inside of your body because it was designed to do that so that you would bleed to death on a battlefield and not be able to get up and kill one of our soldiers, when we see that being used against children, and in Odessa, I met the mother of a 15-year-old girl who was shot by an AR-15, mm -hmm. and that mother watched her bleed to death over the course of an hour because so many other people were shot by that AR-15 in Odessa and Midland. There weren't enough ambulances to get to them in time. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore. Hell yes. Hell yes, we are going to take your AR-15s. Okay. Uh um okay Francis. Malone Lave. Come and take it. You personally. I want you personally to come knock on my door and we'll have some words. How about that? How about that, tough guy? How about that? Come and take my guy. Yeah. You're goddamn right they're used to kill people. They're used to kill people just like you for trying to take the goddamn guns away and turn them on the people. You got to be kidding me with this. You got to be kidding me. You, you think that makes you a tough guy? You think that makes you a tough guy to use the enforcement wing of the state to go door to door and, and confiscate people's guns? You think that makes you some sort of hero? What is this? Uh, uh, they call it a mandatory buyback. It's gun confiscation. Quit the bullshit. Quit Stop with the government euphemisms. Oh, mandatory buyback. Uh, buy it back from, you didn't sell it to me. I didn't get my gun from the government. And maybe it's not for sale. How about that? Maybe I don't want to sell it to you. Mandatory buyback. Oh, I have to sell it to you? Okay. How about, I, I want $100 million for my gun. How about that? $100 million. You have to pay that or I won't sell it to you. Oh, wait, you don't, you don't want to pay $100 million for my gun? Not worth it to you? But if it would save one child's life, are you saying that you value $100 million more than the lives of our children? Is that, what, is that really the position you want to take? Because how are you going to, what, what, what price are you going to give me for my gun, huh? Unbelievable. You're such a tough guy, Robert Francis. You're such a tough guy. In order, in order to 
curb gun violence, right? Because we're concerned with gun deaths. We're going to turn a militarized police force onto the civilian population, armed armed police force, armed with these guns, these weapons of war, and go door to door, knocking down doors and, and forcibly taking firearms from people. What happens if I don't want to give it to you? Then what? What are you going to do? You're going to lock me in a cage? What if I don't want to go in? What if I don't submit to being locked into a cage? Then what are you going to do? Huh? You're going to shoot me? Are you going to shoot me, Robert Francis? Are you going to have your government thugs come to my door, try to steal my gun from me, and when I don't give it to them, and when I don't submit to being under arrest or as to being kidnapped and locked in a cage for doing absolutely nothing, then what are you going to do? Are you going to shoot me? Are you going to shoot me in the name of peace? That, that, that's brilliant. That's like everything we're doing in the Middle East. You know, we're bombing for peace. That solves a lot of problems. And you know, don't give me this, are you, like, oh, are you really willing to, to kill a cop over your AR-15? That's not the point. The point is, why is a cop willing to kill me over my AR-15? That's the point. Why is the government willing to turn a gun on its citizens, the ones that it claims to be protecting, the, the, the ones that it claims to be here to serve, to make our lives better, to protect our rights and, and ensure our liberties? Why are they willing to kill me over my AR-15? That's the real question here. That's the question. AR-15s are actually illegal in Chicago, so I, as a law-abiding citizen, do not have one, at least not yet. But I'm not stupid enough to believe that they'll stop at the AR-15s and the AK-47s. Like, they'll confiscate those guns, and then that'll be it. They'll let us keep the rest of them. Yeah, right. And you know, I'm old enough to remember when the Democrats would claim that we're not after your guns. We're not going, we're not here to confiscate your guns. Yeah, oh, oh, okay. Well, that, that, that escalated quickly. That sure escalated quickly. Uh, maybe, maybe they're not, you know, maybe they're not after our guns. They're after us, and our guns are just in the way. That's probably more accurate. If they were actually concerned with stopping gun violence, if they actually wanted to curb the number of people who die from guns every year, then they would confiscate handguns because the vast majority of gun deaths in America are the result of handguns, not AR-15s, not AK-47s, handguns. So in order to be logically consistent, not like that matters to the likes of Robert Francis O'Rourke, but if you're going to try, if you think confiscating guns is what's going to save lives, then you better confiscate handguns too. Because I thought that was the whole point uh, of, of taking the guns was to preserve human life, right? Because you don't want to, you don't want people to be killed by guns. Well, what happens when I don't, I don't submit to your mandatory buyback? Then what? Then what? And that is the essence of libertarianism. I mean, that's what it boils down to. What are you prepared to throw people in a cage for? Because every government policy, every law, every regulation, no matter how small, 
when taken to its logical conclusion, it is at the business end of a gun. You don't follow their rules, they fine you. You don't pay the fine, they ticket you. You don't pay the ticket, maybe they arrest you. You don't submit to being under arrest, maybe they beat you a little bit. You resist that, well then they shoot you. Unless of course you're black. Then they jump right to the shooting stage. They skip resisting arrest and um, and and usually the beating and they just shoot you in the back. Does that really sound like a solution to you? Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you there are Tens of millions of people who will not submit to a mandatory gun buyback program. And then what are you going to do? What are you prepared to do to those people who are just living peaceably, minding their own business, protecting themselves from tyrants, tyrants like Robert Francis O'Rourke, who think they're tough guys. They're real tough when they have the, the, the world's largest military at their disposal. You think Robert Francis is going to come door to door and enforce his mandatory buyback? You think he's going to take me up on my offer? I don't think so. He's too busy off being a hero talking into a microphone. So when you think of this, when you hear of a government program, of a government law, a government rule, a government regulation, know a couple things. One, by definition, it's forced. Two, it's, it's forced ultimately at the business end of a firearm. And three, what are you prepared to do to people who do not submit to it? Are you prepared to throw them in a cage for violating that rule, for not following that law? Is that what you're prepared to do? Throw them in a cage like an animal. Because if you're not prepared to do those things, if you're not if you don't think it's worth throwing somebody in a cage over perhaps just perhaps it's a law that we do not need on the books something to think about i'll let Pedro O'Rourke i'll let Robert Francis get back to being a hero in El Paso and for the rest of you guys if you enjoyed the show today do me a favor download it subscribe share the show and follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. If you want to become a supporting member of the show, if you want to help spread our reach, our message to more and more people, remember you guys are the ones that make that possible. This show is only possible because you guys listen, you share, and you donate. So if you would like to donate to the show monetarily, you can go to our website, peddlingfictionpodcast.com. Anything you donate will go right back into this program, delivering content and increasing our reach. And if you can do all that, I promise that I will keep coming back to yell at Robert Francis O'Rourke. And until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction.